KRFP, Moscow, Idaho, 90.3 on that FM dial, krfp.org. The show is Labor Lines. I'm John Andercheck recording this to play on August 31st. Got through that first part of that interview with Harold Phillips. As he mentioned in the beginning of it, and I'll, I'll restate it, uh, his opinions here, uh, which are great, his judgment and understanding, which are very in-depth and solid, are all his. They do not reflect his uh, local there in Portland, SAG-AFRA. And so let's throw that out. Going to get into uh, 15 more minutes of my visit with him, which I recorded yesterday. Back again with Harold Phillips. This is John Andercheck with Labor Lines on KRFP 90.3 FM, Moscow, Idaho, a community-supported, community-supporting radio station. Uh, the show's been going on for uh, going on three years, two and a half years. I'm recording an interview with Harold Phillips at my home in Longview on the 24th of August to be put into a show in a week or so. Uh, and uh, the show and in the entirety and this interview, if you're just coming into it, can be found on Labor Lines. Like I said, Labor Lines uh, podcast on Anchor FM, Spotify, Overcast, and some other platforms. Harold, we're closing up there on that first segment talking about the democratic nature of unions. And I'll just throw this in. For one thing, it's certainly more democratic than the Democratic or Republican Party. And a good thing about a union is you go to your local meeting, you go to your hall, and you'll have your sergeant at arms or whatever you want to call the person, but that's typical. And you show that you are a member in good standing with that local, that you've been paying your dues. Uh, and you sit down there and you get a voice. And uh, uh, gosh darn it, you don't get that in many organizations in this country and certainly not in our political parties. So it is democratic. Uh, and as in you know, democracy, it's uh, what you're going to get out of it is what you're going to put into it. Uh, you may not like the fact that uh, your view didn't get uh, uh, the preponderance of votes or uh, the overriding message, uh, but there you were. And uh, it's a great part of it. Uh, unions is an uh, organization. Uh, one of my heroes uh, said that unions are um, an indispensable part of uh, society. And uh, like you said, we certainly are uh, learning that perhaps the hard way, but uh uh, it, it, it's not a lost battle. Like you say, we've been gaining ground. Well, you're absolutely right, brother. And, you know, one of the things we lost as the union movement declined in America, I think, is that civic engagement that we used to have. You mentioned the Union Hall. In places all around this country, the Union Hall was a gathering place. It was the place where people got married, they had picnics out on the lawn, they could have their public meetings there. It was a foundational part of many communities. And then as unions weakened and those halls started to go away and fewer people started to look at that as a pillar of the community, we lost sight of what they were providing for the community. And I'm not just talking about a lawn or a building where you can have a meeting. I'm talking about that example, that example of civic engagement. You know, every month you're going to hear stories from someplace around America where some union members threw together to make something happen. 
maybe uh, town couldn't get their Christmas lights up because of budget cuts, and an IBEW local put things together so a bunch of electricians went out and put up the lights. Maybe during a heat wave you had some sheet metal workers delivering water to people who had no air conditioning. This is what the labor union, the labor movement is all about. It's about coming together to look out for each other, and that includes our broader communities. And as labor starts to reassert itself, as we've seen over the past 10, 15 years, you're starting to see union members be more active in their communities. It's more than just the Labor Day picnic now. All of a sudden, they're putting on vaccination clinics. They're organizing rights for people who can't get out to the polls. They're making a difference in their communities because they believe that a strong community serves us all. Absolutely. And, and all right, all aspects. And, and, you know, but, but one thing that came to mind when you talk about vaccination clinics, uh, it was unions. If you had a union card and you were working a central essential uh, job, food service comes to mind with uh, the largest private sector union in Washington state. I'm going to say United Food and Commercial Workers Union, triple uh, uh, five in southwestern Washington, 21 elsewhere. Uh, they they went uh, leagues ahead of those stuck in non-union positions and getting their workers protected, which, uh, as you and I know, because we embrace science, uh, help protect uh, all of society. Yeah, yeah. that's kind of a given. Um, if, if you have a a vector standing behind the cash register at your local grocery store, that's, that's going to really increase the transmission rate in your community. And also, i got to give it to the Teamsters, too. Teamsters 117, um, worked with a fire department in Tukwila, I think it was, to host a couple of vaccination clinics as well um, for their members and also for some people in the community. Um, And, you know, I think that there's a lot of views on vaccines from a lot of people, and uh, some of those people happen to be union members. But one thing we all agree on is we want to keep our community safe. And so when we have the ability to step up like that, you're generally going to see union members want to do that. Right. And, and, and again, and, and, you know, as you talk about the strength of the community and civic engagement, um, uh, using my platform here, you know, getting my voice uh, on uh, the podcast and the radio show. Uh, oh, I'll say what I feel, and that is uh, the opposite of the civic engagement, the opposite of the sense of uh, a civic good, uh, is this atomization of society. And to me, ultimately, that's one of the greatest perils is uh, because I'll, because we end up perhaps down the slippery slope of no longer looking at those around us as equals, as actual human beings. And the union solidarity uh, is a bulk work against that, in my opinion. Well, you know, brother, it's just what bosses have done to working people since the very beginning of this country. The more they can divide us, the less likely we are to stand together against them. And they divide us on lines of race, they divide us on lines of gender, and now... They can even divide us on some political matters and on life and death issues like whether or not to get vaccinated against a deadly virus. 
it's it's the same old thing time and time again. Um, when somebody is telling you to fight against your fellow working people, you got to stop and ask, what's in it for them? Right. Why are they telling you this? Is the talking head on the TV telling you that because they care about you? Who's paying their paycheck? That's right. And that brings, brings um, I want to just go back briefly to uh, the fight in Bessemer, Alabama, Amazon, and, and, and just countless battles. Uh, the company always likes to uh, uh, frame it as they're looking out for you to keep the union out. Uh, they're willing to spend millions to keep the union out, which tells tells us how much they fear it. Uh, and speaking of uh, of Richard Trumka, uh, when President, when Barack Obama was running for president, uh, he was willing to say that yeah, there could be reasons not to vote for Barack Obama, uh, but it wasn't his race. And I was in, uh, well, I still am in Labor's International Union of North America, uh, another mouthful, the Labor's, and our leader then and now, Terence O'Sullivan, sent us out a newsletter, Harold, and in it he said. If you cannot vote for Barack Obama because the color of your skin, then as as the head of your union, I'm going to suggest that perhaps he should not belong to this organization. Uh, they laid it out clearly then, and they laid it out clearly now uh, that uh, don't be a tool for the other side and get divided. You know, if you read your Howard Finn, um, well, what was, what is the book? Work, work, workers' History. Of okay, you're right. Uh, stuff to that effect. You're right. Very familiar. I gave a copy to both our younger daughters, actually. Uh, 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 yes, but uh, Howard Zinn. Yeah. If, if you read Howard Zinn, you'll, you'll see that um, there was not a division between people of color and white people in the United States before it was the United States in, in the early colonies. Until the landowners realized that indentured servants were hanging out with slaves and they were getting to know each other pretty well and they suddenly realized that there were more of them than there were of the landowners. And all of a sudden, this concept of race got introduced into North America. And it all goes back to that idea that if you can divide people and have them fight against each other, they can't band together against you. And like I said before, it's been a tactic that's been used time and time again. They just find the next wedge issue, whatever it is, and they set it against each other. So we fight against each other. And are paying attention to what they're doing. Right. I, 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 I heard this once on Jacobin Radio that uh, uh, if in the Soviet Union uh, there were two parties instead of one and they agreed on everything except abortion and uh, guns, there would still be the Soviet Union, Harold. Uh, <laughs> I would say the latest and greatest, uh, though it's kind of changed, there's always the us against them when it comes to migrant labor. Uh, but uh, the culture wars, to me, are the the real standout where uh, both parties, to some degree or other, uh, play us like fiddles. Uh, but when you go to the workplace, uh, 
I got kind of uh, teased on labor lines. I call it the most popular of popular fronts. Maybe my wording wasn't that intellectual, but the workplace is the ultimate uh, diverse setting, isn't it? And we all go to the workplace. We all bring our, our subjective individual experience, but we're there to work. And uh, when the bosses don't divide us over whatever it is, uh, that's how we move forward. And we move and that and we do that. And the name of that forward movement is called uh, union organizing, in my opinion. Again, this is uh, John Andercheck on Labor Lines, KRFP, Moscow, Idaho, uh, with a friend, a comrade, and a neighbor now, uh, Harold Phillips, out of Vancouver, Washington. Uh, we're into a, a second part of an interview that will air on KRFP on Labor Lines in a week or so. Harold, you've given me a lot of your time um, uh, I'll just say one thing here and then let you close it up with your thoughts. Uh, but going again to the workplace and to unions, uh, whatever people bring into the workplace as their views on, on various issues, uh, contentious, some of them very contentious, uh, everyone goes there because they want a better life for themselves and more importantly, probably a better life for their family, however you want to define it in the 21st century. And again, I will just say the, the, the surest way historically proven for a better life for yourself and your family is through an organized workplace, a.k.a. unions. And, uh, and I'll just let you uh, get in on that and we'll finish it up.
retirement or college for their kids. And so they're coming to the labor movement in droves, and we are here to say welcome. We're glad you're here. Amen. Harold Phillips, uh, thank you so much for your time, uh, and we will be in touch. Uh, Harold Phillips with SAG-AFTRA, uh, Portland, a neighbor out of Vancouver, Washington. This has been John Andrzejczyk with Labor Lines. If you just get into this interview on the show, you can catch all of it on Labor Lines, the podcast. Uh, Harold, have a good evening, and thank you again for your time. Absolutely, John. Thank you for having me. All right. As Harold mentioned at the start of the interview, the first part of the interview, as I mentioned before, uh, his views here uh, do not reflect uh, his local there in Portland, SAG, AFRA, Society of American, uh, Screen Actors Guild, excuse me, Screen Actors Guild, uh, American Federation of Television and Radio Artists. Uh, as he mentioned, and I mentioned, Labor Lines on KRFP is also available, the entire show on Labor Lines, the podcast on Anchor FM, Spotify Pod. Pocket Cast, Overcast, Google, and a few other platforms. So if you're just coming into the show right now, we just set the air on the 31st of August, uh, you can uh, access it in a day or two by going to Labor Lines on Anchor FM. I'd like to think you can even subscribe to it. If you want to get hold of me, you can do that at laborlinejohn at yahoo.com or via Twitter, laborlinejohn. So here we are. We're going to... play a few takes, uh, some repeats from a few weeks ago, some excerpts from speeches from Richard Trumka. There's not a single good reason for any worker, especially any union member, to vote against Barack Obama. And there's only one really, really bad reason to vote against Barack Obama. And that's because he's not white. And I want to talk about that issue because I saw it myself in Pennsylvania in the primary. I went back to my hometown. I went back to my hometown in Nemecola and I ran into a woman that I've, I've known for years. She was active in democratic politics when I was still in grade school, back when Abe Lincoln was born. She got to talking and I asked if she'd made up her mind who she was supporting and she said, oh, absolutely, I'm voting for Hillary. There's no way that I'd ever vote for Obama. I said, why is that? She said, well, he's Muslim. And I said, well, actually, he's Christian, just like you and I, but so what if he's Muslim? Then she shook her head and said, well, he won't wear that American flag pin on his lapel. And I looked at my lapel and I said, I don't have one. And by the way, you don't have one on either, but come on, he wears one plenty of times. He says it takes more than wearing a a flag pin to be patriotic. Well, I just don't trust him. And I said, why is that? 
And she drops her voice a bit. And she says, because he's black. And I said, look around this town. Nemecolon's a dying town. There's no jobs here. Our kids are moving away because there's no future here. And here's a man, Barack Obama, who's going to fight for people like us. And you want to tell me that you won't vote for him because of the color of his skin? Are you out of your ever-loving mind, lady? See, brothers and sisters, we can't tap dance around the fact that there's a lot of folks out there just like that woman. And a lot of them are good union people. They just can't get past the idea that there's something wrong with voting for a black man. Well, those of us who know better can't afford to sit silently or look the other way while it's happening. Now, I'm not one for, vote, for, for quoting dead philosophers, but back in the 1700s, Edmund Burke said, all that is necessary for evil to triumph is for good people to do nothing. Well, there is no evil that's inflicted more pain and more suffering than racism. And it's something that we in the labor movement have a very, very special responsibility to challenge. It's our special responsibility because we know better than anyone else how racism is used to divide working people. We've seen how companies set workers against worker. They throw white workers a few crumbs. They discriminate against black workers or Latino workers, and we all, we all end up losing. But we've seen something else, too. We've seen that when we have the courage, the good sense, the trade union values to cross the color line and stand together, arms locked, no one, no one has ever been able to keep us down. That's why we created the CIO. That's why industrial unions were the first to stand up against lynching and segregation. People need to know that it was the Steel Workers Organizing Committee, this union, that was founded on the principle of organizing all workers without regard to race. That's why the labor movement, imperfect as we are, is the most integrated institution in America. Now, I don't think that we ought to be out there pointing fingers and calling them racist. Instead, we need to educate them that if they care about holding on to their jobs, 
if they care about health care, if they care about pensions and their homes, if they care about creating good jobs with clean energy, child care, pay equity for women workers. There's only one candidate on the ballot this fall who's on that side, only one candidate who's going to stand up for their families, only one candidate who has earned their vote, and that candidate is Barack Obama, and come November, he's going to be the President of the United States. And after he's elected, we're going to hit the ground running so that years from now we're going to be able to tell our grandkids that 2008 was the year that we finally turned it, this country finally turned its back on men like George Bush and Dick Cheney and John McCain. We're going to be able to say that 2008 was the year that we started ending the war in Iraq so that we could use money to create new jobs building wind generators, solar collectors, clean coal technology, and retrofitting millions of buildings. We're going to be able to look back and say that 2008 was the year that the tide began to turn against the Rush Limbaugh's and the Bill O'Reilly's and the Ann Coulter's and the right-wing race haters. Brothers and sisters, we're going to be able to say that 2008 was the year that we took back our country and built a government that embraced workers and loved unions and saw the power that we bring and the justice that we instill in a country. I want to start with part of this that you were, at least literally, literally in the center of. That was those demonstrations there at Lafayette Park going across the St. John's Church. For people who don't know the geography of Washington, your AFL-CIA headquarters are right there on that block with St. John's Church. As I understand, there was damage done. So who was responsible? What happened? Uh, there was some damage done. It was uh, some errant people. I mean, they weren't peaceful protesters. They were some people trying to take advantage of the situation uh, to create chaos. And, you know, uh, it just proved one thing, David. Uh, the AFL-CIA was not a building. Uh, we're uh, a group of living people that have arms locked together to try to bring social justice back to America. So well, let's talk about the social justice, because uh, every institution is confronting this right now in the wake of the George Floyd killing. Uh, how is it affecting your members? How is it affecting your operations? How do you uh, deal with the question of uh, inherent racism in our, uh, in our system? I think it affects every American out there, regardless of your color, race, or sex, or anything else. Uh, and so what we're trying to do is focus on three things. Look, we have three crises going on simultaneously right now. We have the health crisis, we have the economic freefall, and then we have the crisis of structural discrimination, and we're trying to do all of those together. Uh, we have one, we have an emergency meeting of our Civil and Human Rights and our policy committee today uh, to talk about those and a course of action and how we can be better effective and do more uh, to reform uh, the criminal reform movement, how we can do more uh, to end racism in the country, uh, whatever form it comes in, because it's a labor issue to us because it's so endemic in the uh, workplace. And so we consider it a, a, a labor issue. 
We're, we're struggling with it like everybody else, but we intend to be at the forefront of the solutions. What about policing reform? We know that Speaker Pelosi says that she wants to have a bill as early as Monday about policing reform. Uh, part of the AFL-CIO is the International Union of Police Associations. What about uh, the police unions? To what extent do they have responsibility? To what extent can they be part of the solution here? Well, look, here's the way we look at it. We, we have a number of unions that have police officers in them. Uh, and, you know, people have said, why don't you cut ties uh, with them? First and foremost, we believe police officers and everyone who works for a living has the right to collect the bargaining. And there are officers of every color, every background, and every stripe in America in those unions. And the vast majority are good people committed to protecting and serving their communities. Second, we believe everyone who breaks the law must be held accountable, including union members. Uh, we can never and will never justify criminal activity. Uh, third, collective bargaining is not the enemy. The enemy is a, a broken justice system that in too many cases fails to hold perpetrators of police violence accountable. And finally, we believe that the best way to use our influence to issue uh, on the issue of police misconduct is to engage with our police affiliates rather than isolate them. We're committing to doing what's hard and meaningful instead of what's quick and easy. Do you think things will be changed? Do you think there will be police reform, either whether through legislation, through collective bargaining, some other way? Do you think things will change going forward with respect to how we police our police? I absolutely do think that because all of us are committed and determined to make that happen. Uh, we're not going to let this opportunity just be another in a long line uh, of injustices uh, and discrimination toward people of color. I, I think uh, the killing uh, of George Floyd was the absolute camel that, you know, straw that broke the camel's back. And so we're determined, we're joining with our allies, our friends, our community groups to make sure that this is an opportunity where we do change things. And as President Obama said, it's not like we don't have the playbook. We do have the playbook to make this happen. We just have to make sure that the playbook gets executed and followed. And we're determined. Uh, to join with groups like Black Lives Matters uh, and, and other groups to make sure that those reforms are not only instituted, but lived by from here on out. So, so Richard, uh, the police members who are members of your union are only some of the state and local employees that you represent. Uh, talk to us about the stimulus, the so-called stimulus package. We heard different, different reports. On the one hand, Nancy Pelosi wants to go ahead right away, the Speaker of the House. President Trump says there's not big, that big a rush, although we may need something. The jobs numbers today, does that, they take some of the steam out of getting some more stimulus soon? Well, you know, David, just let me reconcile the figures first. You know, in May, we added 2.5 million jobs. But remember, in March and April, we lost 22 million. So we're still down 19.6 million jobs. The unofficial, uh, uh, the official unemployment rate is 13.3%. And that's a welcome improvement over April. But aside from April, it's still worse than anything we've seen since the Great Depression. And the unemployment rate does not reflect all coronavirus-related uh, job losses. In fact, only about two-thirds of the people who remain out of work as a result of the virus are showing up unemployed. Listen to this. Uh, about 15% or 4.9 million of those out of work because of the virus are being misclassified. 
They've been furloughed, and they should have been counted as unemployed or temporarily laid off, but instead they're being counted as employed but not at work. And roughly a fifth or 6.6 million of those out of work uh, because of the virus being uh, are, are being counted as having dropped out of the labor force. That's because jobless people only get counted as unemployed if they're actively uh, seeking work, which remains uh, impossible for a number of them. So if all 32.5 million workers who are out of work as a result of the virus has shown up as unemployed, the unemployment rate would have been 19.7% in May instead of 133 19.7 or 13.3 demands immediate action. It doesn't say wait, wait, wait. And by the way, 16.2 million people have already lost their health care and more every day. That has to be remedied. The HEROES Act has to be passed. So, so all that said, how confident are you that the HEROES Act will be passed and more important, perhaps, when? Well, uh, the, the pressure continues to build. Uh, if you look at uh, uh, the, the, the rate right now, uh, in, in Kentucky, in Mitch McConnell's home uh, home state, you have uh, over 40 percent uh, of the people uh, in, in Kentucky of pre-academic or pre-pandemic. I'm sorry, pre-pandemic labor force have filed for regular unemployment benefits. Forty percent in his own state, and he says, "Wait, there's nothing to do." And if you're in Georgia, it's actually 45 percent. Numbers are staggering, uh, and so the pressure continues to build, and he continues to do nothing at his own peril. He and other people running on that same do-nothing ticket, or let's wait, 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 while people suffer, 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 and die, 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 and get laid off more and more and more. He does so at his own peril. So I think the pressure mounts. I think we do get the HEROES Act passed, and I think we get it done uh, in the month of June. KRFP, Moscow, Idaho, 90.3 FM, krfp.org. Sugar tea and lard. 
children grow unlearned with no time to go to school almost day four they learn to walk they learn to spin Well, the folks in town, they dress so fine, and they spend their money free, but they would hardly look a factory hand who dresses like
is a long way from Claire to here. It's a long, long way and it gets further day by day. Oh, it's a long, long way from Claire to here. It almost breaks my heart when I think of Josephine. I told her I'd be coming home with pockets full of green. Oh, it's a long, long way from Claire to here. It's a long way from Claire to here. It's a long, long way and it gets further day by day. Oh, it's a long, long way from Claire to here. The only time that I feel alright is when I'm into drinking. It sort of ease the pain of it. And it levels out my thinking Oh, it's a long, long way from Claire to here It's a long way from Claire to here It's a long, long way and it gets further day by day Oh, it's a long, long way from Claire to here Sometimes hear a fiddle play Or maybe it's a notion I dream I see white horses dance Upon that other ocean It's a long, long way from Claire to here A long way from Claire to here It's a long, long way and it gets worse Day by day, oh, it's a long, long way from Claire to here. It's a long way from Claire to here. down on his knees saying son you go to school you learn your letters no don't you be no dusty minor boy like me I was born and raised at the mouth of the hazard dollar where the cold cars rolled and rumbled past my door but now they stay in a rusty row of all empties because the LNN don't stop here anymore I used to think my daddy was a black man With scrip enough to buy the company store But now he goes to town with empty pockets And Lord his face is white as the February snow I was born and raised at 
at the mouth of the hazard alley Where the cool cars rolled and rumbled past my door But now they stay in a rusty row of all empties Because the element don't stop here anymore Never thought I'd leave to learn to love the cold dust Never thought I'd pray to hear those temples roar But God, I wish that grass would turn to money And then them greenbacks would fill my pockets once more I was born and raised at the mouth of the Hazard Alley Where the cool cars rolled and rumbled past my door But now they stay in a rusty row of all empties Because the element don't stop here anymore Last night I dreamt I went down to the office To get my payday like I'd done before But then Mokud's vines was covering the doorway And there was leaves and grass Growing right up through the floor I was born and raised at the mouth of the Hazard Alley Where the cold cars rolled and rumbled past my door But now they stay in a rusty roll empties Because the element don't stop here anymore Because the LNN don't stop here anymore Because the LNN don't stop here Wish I was a slave to an angel trade Like riding around on rail cars and working long days Lord have mercy on my rough and rowdy ways Lord have mercy on my rough and rowdy ways Oh 
down in the valley with whiskey rivers These are the places you will find me hiding These are the places I will always go These are the places I will always go I am on my way, I am on my way I am on my way back to where I started
sit back in my chair beside Father and the Son No more holes to fill And no more rocks to break And no more loading boxes on the trucks For someone else's sake You see the hammer finds a nail The poor man's up for sale Guess I'm doing what I'm on this earth to do Cause I don't think oh why I'm here or where it hurts Just lucky to have the work And every night I dream I'm drowning in the dirt But I thank God for the work The day will come I'll find a reason Somebody proud to love a man like me My back is numb My hands are freezing What I'm working for is something more than free Cause I don't think I'm why I'm here or where it hurts Just lucky to have the work Sunday morning I'm too tired to go to church I thank God for the work I thank God for the work covering Jason Isbell's Something More Than Free, The Head and the Heart, Down in the Valley, The L&L Don't Stop Here Anymore. And what did we have before that? Ralph McTell from Clarity Here and starting out with the Pink and Bow String Camp covering Owensboro. The show has been Labor Lines. I'm John Andercheck. I'll be going out with the new students covering Warren's Evans. Don't let us get sick. Thank you now. Again, as I've mentioned, uh, Labor Lines is now a podcast on Anchor FM and some other platforms. So if you've just came into the show uh, at one part or the other, hit and miss, uh, you can catch the show in its entirety uh, by going to uh, Anchor FM. And I'll be uploading that in a day or so. Once again, this is KRFP. It's a community-supported, community-supporting radio station. And I hope you'll take the time to go to krfp.org and find out how you can help support the programming on the show. All great programming. So much of it locally produced by folks who might actually just walk past going down the streets of Moscow or Pullman, Idaho. Pullman, Washington, excuse me, Moscow, Idaho. Thank you. Just make us be brave
Make us be- 